before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. What you're about to hear is a preview of what may well be one of the best episodes of The Endgame to date. Our special guest was Gerard Minek of Minek Advisors in Sydney, who joined us to challenge some of the points made by Flex and my previous guests. What followed, I have to say, was a breathtaking tour de force by one of the very best analysts you may not yet have heard of. Trust me, you are in for a treat. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including The End Game, The Super Terrific Happy Hour, and The Narrative Game, is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all podcasts, while members of the silver tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Hmm. So, if you enjoy what you hear on the show and you want more high-quality content like it, please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And with that, please enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of The Endgame. Joining me, as always, is a uh, a plaster-casted Bill Fleckenstein. Hi, mate. Hello, mate. How are you today? I'm I'm good. I'm good. You uh, you've been in the wars. Yeah, well, I'm had uh, reconstructive Achilles tendon surgery on Friday, and today's what Monday, and I got off the pain meds yesterday. So hopefully, I will be able to handle this show without making too many mistakes. Let's see if the viewers can spot the difference. It'd be interesting. It's interesting exercise for one and all. Well, look, joining us today um, is a guy I've been trying to get on the podcast for ages, uh, Gerard Minak of Minak Advisors down in Australia. Um, Gerard is fantastic. He's a good mate of James Aitkins. Um, he's a really incredible critical thinker. He writes brilliantly about the world economy and and the world of central banks from down there in Sydney. Um, and he he contacted me a little while ago to say, you know, what, there's a few things on your podcast I disagree with, and I'd love to chat with you about them, which just gives us a wonderful opportunity to bring another thoughtful head into this debate um, uh, and, and, and get some more input into what it really is shaping up to be the big the big elephant in the room, this inflation deflation debate. So um, what do you say, Flick? We, um, we get Gerard on. Okay, let's do it. Gerard, mate, thank you so much for joining us. We are thrilled to have you on the Endgame. Thanks for having me, Grant. Looking forward to talking to you and Flick. So, yeah, been listening to the other podcasts and uh, it's my first ever podcast experience, I have to say. I only started listening to them a couple of months ago and the Endgame is where I started. That a boy. That a boy. Well, you're, it's, you're, it's start, you're starting at the top now. There's no reason to ever do another one. No, that's right. <laughs> no, there's, there's, there's no there's no there's no higher level. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Exactly right. Well, look, look, mate, just um, uh, you'll be familiar to many and not so familiar to others. Just give us a quick kind of pocket background so people know where you come from, and then, and then there's a ton of stuff I want to dive into with you. Yeah, sure. Look, I mean, I've been doing this sort of stuff uh, since the '80s. Uh, always working for sort of investment banks. Uh, started off well at an independent research crowd, then then went to uh, to BZW Barclays. Um, 
I didn't leave them, they left me. We became ABN. Then I ended up at Morgan Stanley, where I was variously uh, their developed market equity strategist and then their cross-asset strategist. And then in 2013, I, I thought I'd try and lift my PB ratio, which is the ratio of how much I got paid <laughs> to how much bullshit I had to put up with, um, and started Minac Advisors. Um, and, you know, uh, it was all about lowering the BS um, and that has been sort of effective, I guess. Uh, the, the only downside is it's a small business. So when I ring my IT help desk, my mobile phone starts ringing, which is very disconcerting. <laughs> yeah, and you know nothing about computers, yeah, which doesn't help. Well, fortunately, I've worked out Alt-Control-Delete does fix 90% of computer problems. So uh, Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, you know, it's funny, I because um, I emailed you actually months ago to, to – ask you about this and say look would you would you come on you said look happy to at some point in the future and you know let's let's wait and see what happens and we've got something to say i'll come on and then uh and then we chatted again and you said you know i've had a lot of thoughts about a lot of the things that your previous guests have been saying and i disagree with someone and i'd love to chat about it which is just fantastic because i think um you know that's a big part of what we're doing is is this idea that smart people aren't always in alignment and and there's no telling who's right and who's wrong it's it's the quality of the thought process that goes into it that's so important and you know i don't know anyone with a with a thought process as as high on the quality scale as you so i would love to to dig into some of this stuff and, and i think um i think a lot of the stuff that, that that you were listening to was perhaps the inflation deflation debate so i think perhaps i'd like to start there and i guess the the smart way is to is to get you to talk a little bit about what you agree with and what you disagree with so we can have a framework for the rest of the discussion. Absolutely. Look, I mean, just by way of background, I've I've done the same sort of flip as, as Russell Napier. Um, for years, I was telling people that the world was turning Japanese um, since Larry Summers uh, called it secular stagnation. I'm always for having the sexiest brand name, so I'm a secular stagnationist. And that, that had been my framework for for really 20 years since the aftermath of the tech bubble. Um, but I, I now think things are changing. Uh, and the key to me is we, we're moving to an era of fiscal dominance. Uh, the COVID crisis has been the catalyst for that. I always, I had argued since the GFC that the next downturn, whenever it was going to come along, would be the catalyst for this shift to fiscal dominance. Of course, I didn't see a pandemic coming, but it has proved to be the thing that's flipped the switch. And the thing about moving to fiscal policy, in my view, is the, the key economic problem of secular stagnation is the idea that we have an excess of saving. In other words, planned or anticipated uh, saving in the private sector exceeds planned or anticipated capex. So that's what gives economies that suffer secular stagnation that soggy, uh, suboptimal disinflationary feel. Now, I have to express it in terms of planned investment and planned saving because in a closed economy, and the world is still a closed economy, actual investment and actual saving have to be the same. The question therefore becomes, well, what needs to adjust to bring the plans that are mismatched into alignment in, in next post sense? And of course, what normally needs to adjust is interest rates, which is why it's almost a proof that we've been in a secularly stagnant world that interest rates have been trending down for three yeah. or four decades. Now, if the problem is excess saving in the private sector, 
governments running deficits can be an effective antidote. It doesn't reverse the underlying causes of secular stagnation, but it can counteract the economic consequences of a private sector that has excess saving. So for me, the key decisive shift is that we are seeing sustained large budget deficits. And if that continues, then I think that brings the curtain down on the secular stagnation era. Where I disagree uh, with Russell is two things. Firstly, timing. Not that that's necessarily that yep. important, but we had a debate, um, oh, it must be six months ago, about whether there'd be serious inflation in 2021, and we had to make it 2021 because we agreed if we started to talk about 2022 or 2023, we'd be in furious agreement, so we had to find somewhere where we disagree. But the other more profound disagreement is, is what's, what's important, what's the change? And for me, it's fiscal policy. If we simply had central banks doing QE without the fiscal, well, we know what that turns out like, and that's the post-GFC cycle. QE is a, is a monumentally ineffectual macro stimulant. I'm not even sure it does a lot for asset prices as an aside, but it's, it's an ineffectual macro stimulant. Um, so the active ingredient for me is the fiscal, and that, that points the way to where the risks are because we all can see that, that the right tail risk, that politicians go crazy and we end up with completely unacceptable inflation. I actually still think the bigger tail risk is the left-hand tail risk, that the politicians chicken out and they flip back to austerity prematurely. And if you think that's not plausible, well, I'll give you a couple of examples. Firstly, Japan has repeatedly tightened fiscal policy over the last two or three decades and repeatedly nobbled promising expansions. And already now in this cycle, we've got people like the, the Chancellor of the Exchequer in the UK and the equivalent down here in Australia talking about the, the need to at some stage go to budget repair. So it seems to me uh, the, the tail risks are, are both there. Uh, and I'd almost argue that the, the fatter tail risk is that we don't see the follow-through. Um, but anyway, that's, that's for down the track. That's for a few years down the track because there's clearly enough momentum in the economy today to make 2020 and probably 2021 uh, very warm macro years. Fascinating. I mean, I, there's, there's so much in there I want to dig into. I, I guess the... I don't think I can let you throw in something as as flip as as an aside. I don't think QE's had that much of an effect on asset prices without digging into your thoughts behind that, because obviously that is at odds with with so many people. And I know you've thought about it carefully, so I'd love to hear that that rationale. Uh, if if I had to say my largest single uh, unsuccessful one man campaign in the last thirty years is to tell people central banks don't matter as much as they make out. Um, I just, it just drives me bonkers. Um, and people say, have you read the latest uh, Fed speech? I go, no, I don't read Fed speeches. I don't read, I don't read central banker speeches. Um, you know, and the reality is they are reacting to economic circumstance. Um, they, they could be replaced by algos and, and we probably wouldn't notice. And they'd probably be as effective. Um, and when you look at QE, of course, the view is, well, you know, the, the money's gone somewhere and low rates lead to high asset prices. It's just not true. Um, I mean, if you look at global equities, the yield on the, on the MSCI, 
full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, grant-williams.com. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.